Hi folks, this is Matt Gibbard. Welcome back to the Modern House podcast. Um, Today I'm in Copenhagen. There's a design festival happening here called Three Days of Design, uh, which I confess I haven't been to before, Um, but this year comes straight after the Milan Furniture Fair, so lots of people have come straight over here afterwards. And I have to say, it's a really, really great event, so um, do check it out if you can, maybe next year. The sun is shining, the streets are thrumming, as you could possibly hear in the background, and it's a really, really fantastic place to be, I have to say. Um, But a few weeks back, we recorded a podcast episode with the brilliant fashion designer Yudon Choi. Yudon was born and raised in Seoul in Korea, but then he came over to London and I think very much has kind of adopted that more European sensibility of, of, you know, clean lines and modernism with a capital M. Back in Korea, you sort of kind of get taught how to do things, how to design. But here in London, it's just all about exploring yourself, learning about yourself and then just expressing. That was kind of really eye-opening. I was really interested to find out about that confluence, I suppose, between sort of East and West that uh, makes itself seen both, I think, in his fashion designs, but also actually in the way that he chooses to live. So we talked about all sorts of things from um, houses in Mexico and the French Riviera through to his own um, really amazing flat in Shoreditch in London. These spaces all interlinked to each other. So we kind of, within the same space, but we're not in the same space, which is great. And it helped a lot over pandemic. Mm. You're staying at home a lot and uh, mm. it's kind of just uh, try not to kill each other, which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Korea, Seoul. My father was dentist and um, my grandfather actually dentist. My mother was very fashionable. My grandmother, my mother's side, had the fashion business mm. before I was born. So I was just surrounded by very fashionable mom and grandmother. And um, so the fashion sort of kind of always floating around. Uh, she had the <laughs> massive walk-in wardrobe and I used to play around with my mom's clothes when she was out for meeting her friends. Did you? So you just you would raid her wardrobe? Yeah, I mean, sort of kind of, she had a really interesting wardrobe. I was just especially drawn into this Korean designer um, has really interesting texture on her fabric choices and then the really interesting texture buttons and stuff like this. I was just uh, simply drawn into, but I never actually just imagined to be a fashion designer. I was naturally thought about just become a dentist because it kind of runs in the family. Then my cousin went to the fashion school. So it's like, oh, hell me, that's interesting. Okay. So I kind of just followed this step. Then I became a menswear designer mm-hmm. in Korea. My boss then, you know, he was really particular with the construction and even just how you just designed the lapels and stuff like that. So I just, I just learned the precision. I mean, I guess, you know, Korean in general, known for their like precision and speed. It's funny, just factory just always just say precision and speed. So I guess kind of makes uh, Korean really stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always just wanted to go abroad and study and I guess... Back in Korea, you sort of kind of get taught how to do things, how to design. But here in London, it's just all about um, exploring yourself, Mm. kind of just learning about yourself and then just expressing. And then that was kind of really eye-opening. And I just learned a lot 
by myself. And so having started with that quite structured approach to tailoring that you talked about with the menswear, how does that feed through to your women's wear? Does that mean your women's wear has a sort of slight crossover to it? Well, I guess, you know, it's not really androgynous, even though just my principle coming from menswear is more like kind of structured and tailored. But just at the same time, I am bringing the female sensibility. It's not my word, just a lot of people say that. Just uh, <laughs> kind of people describe, you know, it looks kind of bit of like masculine, but when you just wear it, it's incredibly feminine at the same time. Yeah. At the end of the day, I want to design the garment which makes women beautiful and empowered. You're obviously interested in aesthetics in general and obviously the, you know this podcast is about home and the and architecture and things like that do, does i mean perhaps we'll come on to this but does architecture feed into your work at all do you think oh my god just it's a, such a chore just to find um inspiration of the season so i look at everything you know a lot of sort of kind of seasons just uh, inspiration coming from architecture yeah or architect furniture designer Throughout the pandemic, I, I got inspired by travels a lot. Just mm. kind of desire of the sort of kind of going somewhere where we're all locked down. Yeah, so inspiration-wise, yes, architect is kind of big part, I guess. Let's move on to a bit of architecture then. Your first choice of living space is, well, it's, 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 a, it's a real masterpiece, let's be honest. It's called Casa Hilardi in Mexico City, uh, designed by Louis Barragan and completed in 1976. First of all, I think it was the last house that he designed, wasn't it? Can you tell us a little bit about that, about the kind of backstory to it? Obviously, Luis Barragan is, as you said, you know, he's greatest, uh, one of the greatest architects. And I knew the his work, uh, especially the colour, he played around with the colour. But, you know, looking at the pictures and then just being there and experience the space is uh, sort of kind of really different. Um, so I was lucky enough just to visit Casa Girardi. The Casa Girardi, as you said, you know, is commissioned to Louis Barragan, uh, I think just after retirement, and he just didn't really take any work. And then this two men in their 30s commissioned him and Luis Barragan just said no first <laughs> but somehow it just did happen and uh, when we went there actually just people still living there I think son of the um, owner original sort of kind of guy uh, living there and his brother who actually just uh, grew up together in the flat so it's very personal so there's certain part of the house is not allowed to go in mm. but then you had good nosing around of the house i guess that's why I, I enjoy peeping modern house website i love just looking at how other people live yeah and yeah how they just decorate well it, I, I i i think it's amazing as you say that you can just go and see this family in their home and they allow you in and and you snoop around and how does it feel when you're in there like describe the experience of moving around it Oh, actually, it's a genuine home, but also I kind of just keep thinking myself, you know, they kept very minimal and then just kept all the original features. Yeah. And I was like, how do you just keep this flat tidy? That was kind of one of the <laughs> questions. I'm, I'm naturally a, a holder, and, but just also just I like the minimalistic aesthetic and then just this kind of constant struggle. You, you're surrounded by stuff. 
I guess also just kind of mesmerizing the 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 house itself, you know, filled with the light and the colors, and uh, it's really interesting how Louis Barragan just designed this space. That that very little lighting, and it's all cleverly designed with the light coming through to the space, and then just it changed the color throughout the day, depends on the you know position of the sun, and also. The house is built around the big tree, and when Louis Barragan was commissioned to design or build the house, he insists that the tree is not touched. So there is kind of I mean it's massive, but it's a big courtyard with tree in the middle, and they just connected the two big houses with the long corridor. And if you just look at that. Connecting corridor space from the courtyard has a beautiful amber color, sort of long windows, series of the long window. But if you go inside, I thought it was just painting the yellow, but actually just that amber color window, the reflection sort of kind of fill the corridor with the yellow color. It's amazing. Actually, just the guy just I mean the son explained that that paint is white. Right, okay. But it is is really bright, sort of kind of yellow color. Then you enter to dining space, which is outstanding. It's it's breathtaking. Has you know light filled, sort of blue painted massive pool, and basically it's the concept is you can just uh, dine and you can just jump into swimming pool. It's insane. <laughs> Within the sort of kind of house, you you can't imagine you have the indoor. Swimming pool with this beautiful square. Can you say square pillar? Sort of kind of red color. Yeah, I guess you know color is big part of Louis Barragan's work. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it absolutely defines it, doesn't it? There's kind of the series of planes and different colors, and that that swimming pool space in particular, it just looks so beautiful. Um, it's got a kind of strong blue, hasn't it? And then there's a sort of red wine colour on the pillar like you talked about. Yes. And then it looked, I think in the courtyard, the the, um, the the white and the purple are meant to match the the, the, the flowers from the jacaranda tree mm. when, they, when they come out, when they're in bloom. Just referencing that tree, as you say, the house was built around it, which I think is is just such an amazing gesture. And I think Barragan said, you know, I'll only take on the project if I can preserve that tree and use it as the starting point. With the color, what's interesting, there's, there's no green in there at all. Barragan said, um, I don't paint greens. I leave that to mother nature. Um, yeah, actually just that, uh, if you go to a studio, uh, Luis Barragan, where he worked and he he lived, the, the garden is amazing. It's not really kind of just sort of kind of uh, manicured. And it's just left to grow, and it is 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 so amazing and fantastic, and the scale is crazy. Um, but then across the street, there's huge garden, extra garden. I mean, he, his own place has the individual garden, but just right across the street, there's huge, huge, almost kind of jungle, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Naunus made a really lovely film about it, um, and we'll we'll link to it on our website themodernhouse.com so if anyone wants to look at that they can do but it's it's just such a lovely peaceful study of of the house and it shows you the light which is which is kind of what it's about and i think that barragan was completely obsessed about the light so he went to the house or to the site before it was built every day 
between 11 and 12, I think it was, just to see what was happening. Um, and I, you know, it's just, I, I think that sort of precision of the way the light is handled all the way through it is really what comes through. Um, as you say, it was built for two bachelors in their 30s as a sort of party house. But what's kind of interesting is that, you know, it ended up in the hands of Martin Luque, who's one of the two, who then had a family and he, he he's brought up his family there. So what was built as a bachelor pad has kind of been this family home, hasn't it? So that's, do you think it, did you get the sense it sort of worked as a family home? Well, I mean, actually, as I ask, do you know the fantastic design feature, but it has a staircase without <laughs> any sort of kind of safety guard, you know? So it's, yeah. like, it's really child-friendly. And I asked the guy, I was like, were you grown up and you, you didn't fall? <laughs> yeah. This staircase, and he said, it's never happened, Yeah, which is good. Um, I guess, I mean, they, they, they've grown in that space and then they, they're probably just used to their space. I think, but clearly they absolutely adore it. And um, there's, there's a really lovely quote from Martin Luque, um, who, as I said, took on the house as one of the pair after the other died. So, you know, he's known it for well, most of his life. And he says, I, I could never have imagined all the things that living in a place like this gives to us. I adapted my lifestyle to the architecture of the house. I was turned into this place. In another life, I would reincarnate here once again. I mean, it's this amazing testament to it, isn't it? I mean, if you're there and you see this space, probably just everyone feels the same. Yeah. It is it's a fantastic. The scale, the boldness of the colour and structure. Would you want to live there? I would. <laughs> I would, absolutely. I love Mexico City. I would. Let's move on to your second one, Yudon. So it's Villa E1027. Uh, on the Côte d'Azur in the south of France, which, of course, was built by Eileen Gray in the late 1920s and her Romanian-born partner, Jean Badovici. Um, I'm really pleased that you picked this one because we took the Modern House team to go and see it as a bit of a pilgrimage a number of years ago. Uh, wow, and it is, <laughs> that's fantastic. I know, they, 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 they did appreciate that. We're a bit, small, bit of a smaller team in those days. <laughs> um, <laughs> a bit more agile, but it was absolutely fantastic. So did, have you been there? Actually, I haven't. I, I chose this place because we did the collection inspired by E1027 okay. for our spring-summer 18 collection. Right. Sort of kind of perfect set for the inspiration, French Rivera, Sun, sort of kind of modernism. But I guess, you know, I, I got to know Eileen Gray uh, while some furniture shopping, to be honest. You know, a lot of kind of female... Designers, uh, Bauhaus or modernism, kind of just really sort of kind of under the radar and then just not get the recognition as they deserved. But it's purely sort of kind of just, you know, my desire of the shopping, wanting to own one of the pieces from Eileen Gray, especially the Bibendum chair. Okay, so you, ha- you, Actually, you bought one, did you? Sadly not. No. I had the opportunity, but, you know... It actually is quite, you know, big just for our place. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't quite work. So, yeah. I mean, actually, the first piece I was really drawn to is her room divider screen, mm. uh, sort of kind of black lacquer painted, gorgeous screen. It's very expensive. It's a 30K, over 30K. And I'm just like, hang on a minute, what is this piece? And I just look into that and I was just mesmerized by her work. Then I just started research and I just found out uh, she built a house. I guess, you know, in the early days, um, Eileen Gray made her name and her furniture just so well. But then 
it start not selling well, and then John Badovich, I think he was journalist slash architect, and mm. he persuaded her to, you know, design the building. And um, it kind of, for me, it looks like perfect sort of kind of backdrop to showcase her beautiful furniture mm. and all this space, you know, carefully sort of designed in relation to her furniture, which is really exciting. Mm. But also, I love the fact, you know, they were friends with Luca Bougian and he was obsessed with the house and uh, he was persuading her to sell the place to him. So she denied, obviously, and he bought a little cabin overlooking her house. And... I I think he died, you know, like um, whilst he's swimming. Uh, he did, yeah. Off that, on that, exactly right. He he went for his daily yeah. swim just on the coast there, and and never came back. Mm. I read a story that you know, um, after she passed away, Le Corbusier just went into the place and then just did a sort of mural painting, naked. It's funny, just you see the pictures, you know, he was uh, naked and just painting the mural, kind of almost like, you know, sort of kind of revenge, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it does feel quite vindictive, doesn't it? There's a, a great photograph of him completely naked apart from his trademark specs. And, you know, he's obviously just had a great time defacing this, this beautiful white rendered modern house. And I think, I mean, people have obviously speculated that it's jealousy. Um, <laughs> And, you know, you might speculate that maybe he thought, you know, how, how could a woman have built such an incredible monument to modernism, especially when she wasn't even a trained architect? Um, I don't know what you think. Would, do, you, do you think it was done out of, out, of, out of some sort of spite? I'm sure, you know, he did it to annoy her. Yeah. To destroy. Yeah, yeah. So I think that the main kind of you know the thing that the house is most well known for as you alluded to earlier is this custom made furniture that Eileen Gray made for it um apart from the bebendum chair is there anything else that you can tell us about the carpet i'm obsessed with her carpet <laughs> carpet and lacquered um screen and bebendum chair the, the the three pieces i really wish to own in my life yeah, yeah. But i'm quite careful when purchasing things because i'm as i said i'm a real holder and i have real problems to throw <laughs> things away but at the same time i pursue minimal life so it is it's a real struggle that's the the, the the most famous piece is is that tubular steel table which mm. i think is called the e27 table yes it, yes it does um and i think the idea was that she designed it so that her sister could eat breakfast in bed without getting crumbs all over the sheets <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. So maybe I'm sure she had an OCD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing about it. When you, you know, when when you go to the house, there's so much personality in it, and things fold and tilt and lift. And there's that um, satellite mirror, which has a kind of, it's got a sort of secondary magnifier on an arm, so you can actually look at the back of your head with it you know, to check out your dandruff or your ball patch or whatever. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's full of humour and the whole thing kind of moves and it, you know, it's, it, it, feels, it feels very much in touch with the human body in a way. It had a bit of a chequered history later on, the house. Uh, <laughs> to give people a quick potted history, it was used for target practice during World War II by German soldiers, which isn't ideal. As you say, Le Corbusier drowned there in 1965. In 1980, the owner of the house at that point, who was called Marie-Louise Shelbert, uh, died in her flat in Zurich. 
but just three days before that, her physician, as a doctor called Peter Kagi, I probably got that wrong, uh, basically secretly went into E1027 and took all of Eileen Gray's furniture out and auctioned it off in Zurich. And then he, <laughs> yeah, I, I read that. Yeah. It's so funny, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> that part, I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I know, I know. You couldn't make it up, really. And then, um, and then he basically, this physician inherited the house after she died, uh, and he used it for drug-fueled orgies. Basically, was what it was used for. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, in 1996, he was murdered in the living room in the house. Uh, um, A lot of deaths in the house. I know. It's, it's quite, it's quite checkered, isn't it? So after that, it very much fell into disrepair. But I think the great thing is that it was it was rescued and restored. And actually, it's now a very important example, obviously, of the era. But it's, it's, it, feels, it feels very well preserved. And it's, a, it's a, just a fascinating place to go and visit. So I would urge anyone to, to get out there, including you, you, Don. You've got to get out there. I would love to. Actually, just uh, after I just did a collection, uh, the Eileen Gray E1026, organization just got in touch with me ah. and wanted to do something but just you know the story of the young designer just I was just swamped with the work just creating the next collections just unfortunately just I didn't have chance but I do love to go I, I, I've never been to south of France so mm. I do want to experience well you, you it, the, the light in the south of France obviously is the famous thing that the artists will talk about but it really is noticeable in a place like that because you're right on the water and you've got the you know the very bright white painted render of the building and then the, the the light refracting off the water it is it just feels like it's meant to be there um, of course as i said just i'm a big fan of just experience this space in person because it's, it's a, such a different experience when you see the images online and then you get there and then just feel the space mm. it's a kind of three-dimensional experience is 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 amazing yeah, yeah exactly right well Let's move on to a space that you do know very well, which is the space that you're in now, um, <laughs> which is your own home in, in, in North London. I know you're a bit self-conscious about talking about this because you were like, I'm not choosing my own home as one of my three best living spaces, but it's not. It's, it's more like I think it'd be just interesting to find out how you live, you know. So to tell us a bit about it. Where is it and, and how long have you been there? So it's in Shoreditch. It's uh, right near the canal. And we bought this place five years ago. We we view this house uh, sort of kind of out of the nosiness again. Just um, I love looking <laughs> at the properties, and then it was just nearby. It, it looked impressive, you know. Um, it has a massive windows with all different sizes, and then sort of almost how do you say zigzaggy effect. Mm. And um, when we came to view, we fell in love. And it is really interesting space how they just build. They sort of kind of stagger up uh, half floor each. So it's, it is very narrow, but just tall structure. And it creates sort of six meter high ceiling living room space and then kitchen dining area. And also the the angle of the each corner is not 90 degree. Mm. And, and, and I guess, you know, it may just not be everyone's cup of tea because you know that makes really difficult to place the furnitures. But but I I, I love I love I love kind of playing around with things and then like when I designed you know I guess you know fashion you have to improvise and then just sort of kind of problem solve and I I I, I love it. Well, let's talk about the space a minute because as you say that's what 
really defines that flat. It's designed by um, uh, a company called Solid Space, and their their USP is this idea of of kind of interconnected half levels, isn't it? So you've got lots of half levels, and it's kind of the, the main social spaces where you you live and you eat and you work are all connected together, right? Is that how it works? So upper part of house uh, is bedrooms. Then the lower half is more like kind of living space. The mezzanine area is just meant to be workplace. Mm. Then we also have the another half level. It is really bizarre construction. And then it, it almost kind of feels like ant's house in a way. Uh, an ant's house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why does it feel like an ant's house? Basically, there's a... There's no corridor, and then the, all the space interlinked with the staircase, you, mm. as you said. Mm. So there's no corridor, so mm. you can just go up and down. It's kind of basically like ends walking yeah. around. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the point of it, isn't it? Well, I think there's two key points here. Number one is there's much less circulation than you would normally have, right? And then the second thing is that you, you get this variation in ceiling heights but by, by, by having the half levels. As you say, you can have a, a soaring living space and then what looks like really quite an intimate dining space, for example. What's it like to have those different atmospheres in, in the flat? It's, it, I, mean, I, I guess it's really good. You know, I don't really watch TV. My partner just watch TV and then it's kind of just nice to have our own space. But then the, still we in this different space, but the space is all interlinked to each other. So we we kind of within the same space, but we're not in the same space, which is great. And it helped a lot over pandemic. Mm. You're staying at home a lot and uh, mm. it's kind of just uh, try not to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have people around for dinner a lot? Does the flat work well for, for, for entertaining? Oh, yeah, it's kind of, it can just be weird party house. Just Because um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's interesting. It's just kind of, it's a fun to invite people and it's just uh, people have a look around. And Are you a cook? I can be. <laughs> I can be. If I want to, but just uh, not so much. What about Korean stuff? Because I love Korean food. You cook Korean food? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I I cook sometimes, you know, Korean food of the Korean barbecue, and people oh. love it. I mean, I guess it's it's really interesting, you know. When I just first came to London, you know, Korean cuisine wasn't really well known, but just now it seems very popular. It is, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it really is. So what what's different about a Korean barbecue versus one of ours? Korean barbecue, you do in front of yourself, in-house. And um, so it's kind of, there's some sort of kind of theater factor. And you can just do all your run. It's not something, you know, in summer only. You just use the lettuce leaf and then perilla leaves and some sort of kind of spring onion sort of condiment and kimchi even. You can grill kimchi. And then just the samjang, which is kind of people call Korean barbecue sauce mix it and then kind of brings the flavor together oh it does sound good it does sound <laughs> got my saliva glands going talking about that <laughs> <laughs> um tell us about the color in the flat because you've got some really bold pops of color in there so like when i just do my own collection um for my business you know i play around with color i guess you know the shape and colors sort of kind of key factor rather than print or other element Mm. So I love color. I love playing around with the color. 
But then it's kind of different story when you choose the color for your house mm. than fashion, because just fashion color you just wear one day and then you don't need to wear it the other day. Yeah, yeah. But you 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 live with it. I actually it's a funny story. Just um, when we look around uh, to purchase the house near the area, I happened to be at the graduation show, um, uh, fine art show. In Central Saint Martin, I found this artist called Vince Hart, and he created this massive, gigantic sort of you know, color blocking painting on aluminum panel. Right. And it 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 was, it was gorgeous, and it's also kind of modular, so it's kind of five different sort of kind of color blocking painting, and then then you can just uh, play around with how you just place. That really kind of influenced how I choose the house as well. Kind of, I I found art first, and I was like, God, this house would be perfect backdrop of this art. And then that really kind of just shaping, sort of play around with the color. I mean, I love color, so I I had some sort of kind of bright green um, USM piece I I had it for years. It really kind of just influenced how I just uh, build the walk-in wardrobe, and then we found this company called Uncommon Project, and. Uh, they do any color spray paint um, sort of wardrobe and kitchen unit, and it was really fun project. You know, um, the the possible color option. The book was amazing, and it really stressed me out. You know, uh, and it was just before my catwalk show. Hmm. So it, it is. It was stressful time. It's busy time, and I just needed to choose this color. And 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 I just uh, kind of had to sit down with my um, team just to discuss the color. It was more important than my own own collection. Yeah, yeah. But it was just fun, and I, the uh, uh, outcome is really really uh, I'm happy with. Because when you open the door, you can just uh, have little glimpse of the our walk-in wardrobe, which is an array of the yellow. I ended up just choosing the three different color from one Pantone book. Which has a yellow section, and when you open the door, you can just see downstairs living room with the Vince Hart beautiful blues and uh, just blue against the yellow. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it does look really good. It's it's so strong. I I, I was thinking as you were talking, um, we featured the the flat on the Modern House website a while back. So um, if anyone wants to have a, a snoop around Udon's um, flat, do check it out on themodernhouse.com because. It's it's one of those flats actually quite difficult to describe. It's it's but it's just a it's a really really fascinating space. I think you live there with with your partner Neil Byrne. Do you guys kind of agree on the aesthetics of it? I mean, for example, is he into the color as well or not? Oh, just um, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> we dis- disagree on many different things. I I am a creative person. I'm a fashion designer, but he's also just he's in. You know, design PR. He's kind of his area as well. Yeah. I I love minimal aesthetic and all the furnitures bought by me. Yeah. But then he's design PR and he loves object. I hate object. And but just I guess that's kind of relationship. You, know, you have to compromise. And uh, <laughs> I, I I think just you know, without maybe his object, our house just might have to look really boring. <laughs> it kind of just bring the certain character, I guess. But then also at the same time, you know. I hate clutter and I kind of have the policy just he just smuggling all the time just this new object and it, it, it is crazy sometimes you know like it like turn up like some sort of kind of I mean it's beautiful I, not that I'm saying I don't like 
the object he bringing in, but just some beautiful ceramic mm. turns up or sort of kind of random vitra wooden door turns up, mm. and then just like we don't have this space. I want it to be Casa Girardi. It's really minimal <laughs> and just you know sort of kind of almost like showroom and fantastic sort of kind of visual impact yeah. it has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where where do you get tend to get your furniture from? I, I guess you know over the time just uh, I've been collecting. So first piece I bought is just that green USM uh, unit. One of the great purchases I bought uh, this beautiful Danish sideboard on eBay. Is is it was really cheap, but then it looks fantastic. My Danish friend just doesn't get it because it's kind of for me it's fantastic. But just sideboard is just what their grandparents just used to have in their home. Um, also, I kind of bit of like bargain hunter, so just some sort of kind of warehouse sample sale. Mm. We acquired this beautiful Noguchi table. I don't know why it was just there, but just, you know, we bought Noguchi table. It's kind of one of the also all-time favorite sculptor. Mm. You know, I always wanted to have uh, video shelving yeah. for my life. Whenever I just get invited to sort of people who I admire, just, you know, architect or designer or or someone who has great taste had pizza. I didn't know what it was, but it just looked fantastic and I asked. And I just found out a classic piece and then it's really high quality and it looked really good. And then, then just, you know, I happened to watch Dieter Ram's documentary mm. and I just fell in love more. Vizio Shelving was the second purchase for this house after Vince Hart art. Yeah. It it just works though, doesn't it? That's the thing. It's it's just functionally and aesthetically, it's 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 a perfect thing, <laughs> and it and it looks like you've got a a small garden there as well. You're obviously in an urban environment in you know in London. Does what does that garden do for you? Does that give you that connection to nature that you need? Well, actually, do you know what? It's not my ideal garden. My partner is really into gardening. Yeah, that's kind of also completely sort of kind of different aesthetic when it comes to gardening. I'm not allowed in the garden <laughs> unless I'm invited to. Also, I, 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 I tend to kill plants. I'm not really good with plants. But I mean, we have a beautiful garden. It's very green. People admire. Okay, so you're not allowed out there because you kill stuff. I, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm allowed, but I don't really go there because it's, it, it's, it's very busy. It's a lot of plant. <laughs> and I, I, I do want sort of kind of more like manicure style, sort of kind of clean garden, more zen style, and I can just enjoy my drink. Yeah. But it's not bad. Finally, I'd just like to just ask you just a bit about the kind of emotional side of, of, of being in your, your place. Like, what, what, is it, what, is it, what does it do for you? What, what does it feel like to come home there at the end of the day? You know, how do you feel in the space? I think, you know, as everyone else, you know, the pandemic really exhausted us, mm. didn't it? And I, I felt lucky to have this space. I come home and I just can relax and then just I lie down on the sofa and I just I have huge ceiling space, you know, like six meter ceiling. And then it, it really relaxing, mm. you know, the, I have the lamp light and then just kind of low light. And then, and, and then I, I love just staying home just doing nothing mm. to be honest do you think you'll be in that home for a long time or do you think you'll move on i'm not quite sure i mean um moving is quite stressful isn't it it is yeah i guess also just moving has the good side effect you know uh you can just declutter yeah that's good 
Uh, though I'm not quite sure. I mean, I I love this space and not quite sure I see moving quite soon unless you know we get gorgeous holiday home maybe in Cotswold or somewhere in Portugal or somewhere in France. Well, now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's dream, isn't it? Yeah. That's brilliant, you Don. Thank you so so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for listening. As always. You can check out the houses we talked about today on our website, which is themodernhouse.com. This episode was produced by Kate Taylor of Feast Collective and mixed by Andy Taylor. Next time, I'll be chatting to the brilliant Penny Martin, who's editor-in-chief of The Gentlewoman magazine. Uh, We had a really open and honest and at times quite emotional chat about all sorts of things, including, of course, her three favourite buildings. Do check that one out. It's a really, really great episode. In the meantime, do follow the show, leave us a quick review if you can be bothered, and of course do share it with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Thanks so much, and see you then.